0: What is up everybody? Ryan from Sports Card Radio. Weed is legal in California. That's right. Weed is legal. So take one out. Smoke one for your boy. Out here in California, it's beautiful. Sun is shining. We're back. I'm back. Colin is uh, off somewhere spending the $100 that he made from me as he correctly predicted. Donald Trump would win the presidency of the United States. We had a bet. I tried to bet him a thousand that Hillary Clinton would win. And uh, we settled for a hundred. So I feel like I actually uh, came out of there unscathed for the most part. But what we're going to do today, he's going to have to take the punishment, though, because I'm going to hijack his uh, podcast feed. So um, for that hundred dollars, I'm going to get plenty of podcasts in and steal his podcast feed and steal his listenership over the years but that's okay he's doing well like i said he's off probably spending that hundo somewhere hopefully he's not regretting that he could have got a thousand from me what we'll talk about today on the show i have three things written down who knows what it might uh morph into first things first psa collector's universe they recently had um I think it was their ends up being their first quarter conference call. That was just a few days ago. Listen to that. Not going to. I'll let Colin get on maybe sometime and describe what type of investment collectors universe PSA, the the grading company would be They're public publicly traded company. It's kind of a weird investment because they pay out a dividend more than what they make per quarter. So it's a weird, it's a weird investment. I don't want to talk about that. I'll let somebody like Colin who, who knows a little bit more, about that, explain that to you, but there are some implications in the calls and some of their numbers about sports cards and about sports card grading and what it what it means now and into the future, and I'll talk to you about those things because I think PSA, being a public company, really, uh, there are some windows into the grading market and kind of predicting the vintage market, I think, that uh, can be unpeeled and uncovered by listening to those PSA conference calls. So I'll talk about that, not from an investment perspective, but from a collector or interested party in the sports card or memorabilia game. So we'll talk about PSA and vintage cards. We'll also talk about Check Out My Cards Black Friday is coming up. Gosh, that's got to be only a couple of weeks away now. I'll talk about uh, My Strategies and what I am planning to do, I have 36,000 cards now. So, what is my game plan in terms of selling and then also buying? Lastly, I'll touch a little bit on the Arizona Fall League and how it ties in with the Chicago Cubs winning, and um, share some of my insight about seeing many of the, a bunch of these Cubs players over the years at the Arizona Fall League and maybe why you should go out and then uh, hopefully I kind of tie, tie in some card angles there maybe about how to get some autographs there and some of my experiences there um, and certainly the Arizona Fall League any information about the Arizona Fall League it almost directly applies to spring training because they play in the same ballparks and um, same type of atmosphere and fun goes on during spring training but there we go those are the topics I have I'm $100 lighter in the wallet today, but have some things to talk about in regards to sports cards. PSA or as they are known on the Street Collectors universe did their first quarter conference call the other day. I usually take a listen to those when they are held every few months. Unbelievable great quarter for them. Keep in mind that PSA's main business is coin grading. They've seen a lot of growth in China over the last couple years and making a lot of inroads and investment over there. So just keep that in mind that the sports card grading and autograph authentication is a little bit of a secondary business for them. But I wish I had this as my primary business because, boy, PSA for the quarter... They set an all-time service and revenue record. So what I believe that means is the the service, all-time record service, I believe that means the most cards they've ever graded in at a quarter. So that's great. And usually when you grade the most cards you've ever graded in at a quarter, that means you're going to break an all-time revenue record as well. So that's great for them, great for anybody who uh, is a shareholder for them. 24 of the last 25 quarters they have seen service and revenue growth in the sports card grading and autograph authentication business that is astonishing Um, that has just that shows you 24 quarters that's got to be about six years of data there that just shows you the lifespan of this vintage bull market that we're on it's it's really been a five to six year window here where PSA has been grading more and making more money each month on sports card grading and autograph authentication. Now, I think it'd be kind of foolish to try to predict when the vintage sports card bull market might end. It looks like we've been on about a five or six year tear here. I think one very key indicator of when you'll see a level off maybe of some of the pricing or at least some of the interest is when PSA stops hitting these quarter over quarter growth metrics as I was saying 24 of the last 25 quarters they've seen service and revenue growth sports card grading and autograph authentication once you start to see that level off or taper off or even decline you can you can uh, I you know, I lost a bet on the presidential election, so I don't know if I'd be taking any kind of financial advice from me. But you can surely bet that once PSA starts to see a level off of their service and revenue in the sports card grading business, you're gonna you're gonna start to see that play out on the auction markets for these vintage cards and vintage sets and um to a lesser degree on eBay. I think a lot, some of these higher dollar cards, some of these cards that get into the six figures and above some of these very rare, uh, mint condition, vintage baseball cards. These are selling at, um, auction houses. A lot of times heritage auctions, um, legacy. There are many of them that have been well chronicled and unquestionably these, a lot of these vintage cards, have exploded in value over the last several years one thing I really like about PSA and they mention this on every single conference call and this is something you rarely or never hear out of somebody from the new card manufacturers Taps and Panini and Upper Deck the CEO mentions this virtually on every conference call he says providing information to collectors that spawns interest in cards That spawns people wanting to go out and spend money on cards that spawns people uh, ultimately to submit cards into PSA or buy PSA graded cards and PSA spends tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of dollars per year on their website and their collectors app that loses like $25,000 a month but on their website like if you go to psacard.com at least the sports card uh side of their uh collector's website there's a lot of good information on here obviously they have an extensive population report of every card they've graded you could go see before you send a card in how many have been graded and, and and the breakdown of all the grades they have gotten they have various resources they come out with a street marker report magazine and price guide that that might be monthly might be uh maybe like bi-monthly i've always found that pretty interesting to look at pretty interesting to read Um, they try to provide a lot of information for collectors because they know that what spawns interest they if, if if nobody knew about the history and the importance of a Honus Wagner baseball card or the 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle or the 1989 Upper Deck King Griffey Jr., these cards wouldn't have any value and there wouldn't be a story behind them. And I think that's something that uh, you know, new card manufacturers, Topps and Panini, could really do a lot better. And it's it's really just the little things. For example, I'm on a page on the PSA website uh it's dedicated to Charles Barkley and it has about I don't know looks about 8 to 10 examples of Charles Barkley autographs so if you had a Charles Barkley autograph and you weren't sure if it was real you could go here and bring up some pictures let's see up yeah these get really big so if you had a, a, a nice desktop monitor you could clearly compare some of these on your own before you even thinking about sending it into PSA. I think the website could use a little freshening up. Some of the articles were a little hard to get to. Um, some of the information could be presented in a clearer way, but that's a struggle for ever. That's a struggle for me on a lot of my websites, and that's a struggle for uh, many in this hobby because of just the bulk and the vast information that you do have to provide. But I do like that they are that they do put forth the effort they mention it every time on their conference calls. You can actually see the money they've invested in their apps. And it blows away anything that Topps or Panini's doing. So I always, you know, somehow end up back on these modern card companies. But they could do a lot better job informing collectors, informing uh, potential new customers, new collectors, re-informing old collectors who are getting back into the hobby. They could do a much much better job of that and it's very simple tedious posting of information on a website and never taking that information down having that information available don't change your links or change your website stick with a very uh, tried-and-true formula of just posting simple information on the web that goes beyond the PDF checklist which I don't even know how people digest that on a phone but goes beyond that shows pictures of cards and examples of cards and video and organizes it organizes it in a way that can enhance the collector experience that's something they really need to work on that is a slightly above minimum wage position at these companies doesn't cost a lot of money and I believe you need multiple voices because I believe I mentioned this on the last podcast those panini blog posts have gotten so tired and so stale because it's been the same voice that has written them for the last I don't know four or five years so bless you Tracy Hackler maybe you could go into another part of the company and and use your experience. And keep your job and and you know and do do that stuff. But man, we could really use another voice over there on, on that blog. They could certainly use a lot more information than just kind of a standard blog kind of format. So could TOPS. Their website's a disaster. Things disappear. You better go grab that Tops Now checklist now, or you better go grab all that information because I guarantee that all be wiped out. They won't keep that around. Um, that's what I would do actually, you know, start a website and just go copy and paste their checklist, copy and paste all their photos, put some eBay links up, boom, you're done. And, uh, call it the 2016 tops now checklist, categorize it, maybe take you a couple weeks to put it together, but, uh, you'll be making money off that for uh, quite a while. So little tip there, but there you go. Start talking about PSA end up on Panini tops. Moving on to check out my cards. Black Friday is coming up. I would highly recommend taking advantage of this in a couple different ways. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And then you can, you can uh, I'm sure all you guys are smart enough to figure out how you can approach it. I got 36,000 cards. I probably have a budget of at least $1,000 that I'm willing to spend to buy more cards. Uh, but I'd be willing to go more if... For whatever reason that was a really good deal or you know you end up just buying thousands of thousands of cards my intention is to just run a pretty standard sale and i've been doing those actually every month i've been running a sale every month after having never really run a sale on check out my cards except during black friday when they offer a free one well, now I every month I've been paying for a one or two day sale and that has really helped out because it, it kind of unloads about 150 cards or 200 cards, puts a little money in my pocket. Um, some of the f- other flippers come through and buy cards for me. I love selling to other flippers because those, you know, those guys end up being your best customers because they might come back day after day or month after month and buy more cards from you. So I got 36,000 cards. I'm ready to, you know, sell some cards to some flippers, but I'm going to probably focus a little bit more on buying this time around. And every year I probably have a different strategy. I think the last couple of years I've really focused on prospect cards. So I load up on Corey Seager. I load up on Carlos Correa. I load up on some of these guys. Um, a lot of them have done pretty well. I've at least done pretty well on their cards. Now I bought some Corey Seager cards for 50 cents that i sold for 10 or 15 bucks. And I have many, many more. I, I bought one the other, or I bought one for... 75 cents. I think it sold for eight the other day. That was my most recent one. But I probably still got another 100 Corey Seager cards that I bought really well. And a lot of them were bought during Black Friday. This year, I'm at a little advantage because I'm on the same time zone as checking my cards. So they always kind of start the sales. Well, they've changed the last couple years. I think they they kick on in the morning now. So you really want to be on at about you could check in at midnight, 1230, and maybe some pop on. But really, it's going to be that Black Friday morning at about 630 Pacific time or so. So a good time on the East Coast, maybe 8, 9 o'clock a.m. East Coast time. And there's going to be a whole bunch of sellers, hopefully, putting uh, stuff on sale. And that's a really good time, obviously, to be buying is when everybody's trying to sell. You really want to be buying. So I'm going to be focusing on really certain players, certain core players that I know sell for a certain price the Buster Posies, the Derek Jeter's, the Mike Trout's. Uh, my brother and I have always have a saying whenever we joke about checking my cards. Uh, I think we call it the Jerry, Joe, Troy, and Emmett's. So, I mean, you know, Jerry Rice, Joe Montana, Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, these guys who are tried and true. Their cards are worth a certain amount. A lot of them were kind of played in the, the 80s and 90s where there are a lot of cards available. So there are a lot of inexpensive cards, but those cards still sell something. Before Kobe Bryant retired, I loaded up on a lot of his like eight to nine cent cards, 10 cent cards on there. And those have all doubled in value. And uh, Kobe Bryant has been actually a really good investment the last couple years because his stuff went up in value. He really went out kind of on a high note at least personally uh, for the Lakers. There's a lot of goodwill still for him around the league and uh, obviously with Laker fans and those who are going to matter most because those are probably going to be the people who are going to be buying his cards. So a lot of my Kobe Bryant's have doubled in value over the years. I bought a lot last year on Black Friday when he was still in the league and he was still months and months away from his retirement and while he was in the news he certainly um, you know still had a lot of haters but uh you know, his cards really took off after uh, when you led up to his final game. And then he had that amazing game. I, was, I remember being in Vegas and at the MGM, and they had it everywhere. And it was like Vegas was like stopped and watched Kobe score 60 on the Jazz. It was a pretty cool time to be in Vegas. I remember being there watching that. Really cool time. But so Kobe Bryant probably won't be. I maybe check in on Kobe Bryant. But really, I'll have a whole laundry list of players that I'm going to be searching Less prospects this year. I think I'm gonna go more veterans, more kind of tried and true guys of all sports. Try to cover all sports and even dip into the hockey. On a side note, on the hockey I've done really well flipping some some of the newer upper deck cards on. Check out my cards. It's really been like the upper deck exclusive cards, the exclusive base cards numbered to a hundred. You can buy those sometimes for like under a dollar and a lot of times those will sell for between two and five, and you can get quite a few of them, um, and I've sold quite a few of them. So there's you know there's a few dollar spread there that you can win on. I got like a rookie breakouts Nicholas Paton for like five dollars that I sold for twenty the other day. I bought some McDavid's, you know, for like ten or fifteen that sell for thirty now. There was a lot of room there with some kind of naive E people who would transfer their cards over to check on my cards and sell them to cheap uh, cheap especially the rare cards we haven't seen the bounce back in price on like the young guns cards and some of the very obviously the common inserts where there are in some cases hundreds and thousands of copies on check on my cards and the prices are like you know four cents each on them and the young gun prices maybe haven't bounced back in a way, but I would still give that time. I would be very patient. I, I, I myself have several thousand, thousand, like four or five thousand young guns from mostly it was the series one. It was the McDavid um, version. This 2015, 2016 upper deck series one. I have several thousand common young guns. I still think we're going to see a little bounce back there. Those, I think, in the long run are still going to double and triple in value no matter if the guy flames out or not because I think that'll be an iconic set. I think that'll be a set. Uh, boxes, unopened boxes of those will sell for uh, quite a bit. And any remarks about kind of the upping the print run for the McDavid year, I think will fall away because uh, in the long run, those boxes will dry up and um, there'll still be a demand for that those cards in that set. So I'm going to hold on to those young guns. My time horizon is very long on there. But in in the shorter term, if you're looking looking to flip on the shorter term, man, there are some really, really uh, good deals. And and people who, who know the hockey market can really take advantage of that side. And I highly encourage you, if you're familiar with the hockey card market at all. You sell on eBay or you're just familiar with that market. You got to go over to check out my cards and rip these guys off and, and take their cards. And, yeah, you got to be patient. And, I encourage, and you know, I would stress that. Be patient. But, boy, you could get these rare, rare high-gloss cards and these serial-numbered cards and, and rare, you know, autographs and, and take these guys to the cleaners. Buy these cards for a couple bucks and resell them for 10 or $20. And now that you have that opportunity to cross-list on the eBay and Amazon um, some of those, some of those rare hockey cards are going to sell a lot easier now because you, you get that exposure onto eBay because they are a lot more because of EPAC, it's drawn in a lot more hockey collectors to check out my cards who now have to create an account because they have an EPAC site. So there's some natural synergies there. Maybe you buy the card for a good deal, but a couple of months later, that hockey collector is, you know, searching the. Check out my card site and they buy it from you. So that happens to me a lot. I wish I could have taken advantage of that a little bit more, but my knowledge again, this is where knowledge is very powerful in collecting. And this is something that PSA understands. And this is something that I'm starting to understand very well trying to learn the hockey game. Knowledge is very powerful because if you're on there either on a monthly or day, it's not a day to day grind. You could, you could check in once every couple of weeks if you have this type of knowledge and just put in some offers or make some bids. Cards don't fly off the shelf like it is on eBay. Things don't, you know, move that quick unless it's an incredible, absolutely incredible no brainer deal. So you have some time uh, to go on there and browse around, even if it's only once a week, once every couple of weeks. I highly encourage you to do that. You can find some good deals, even if it's just for your own personal collection, or if you're looking to, uh, you're a degenerate like myself and just likes to flip these cards a hundred times over and make a make a little bit of money off of it. But encourage you to do that check out my cards black friday coming up i wouldn't again i wouldn't pay too much attention to your sale because everybody's got stuff on sale because there's going to be a lot of competition to sell stuff be happy with what you sell buy as much as you can and then sell all those cards over the next 12 to 24 to 36 months have a long time horizon i've spoken that a, 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 many many times this isn't ebay this isn't a 7 day auction this isn't a buy a card and then sell it the next day for double the price in some cases you're able to do that and the more cards you have the more cards you're gonna sell that's why I have 36,000 cards on there but I encourage you be patient have a long-term time horizon 12 months 24 months 36 months whatever it is and you will see growth um, just by buying some common baseball cards I really dip into the common game Um, I rarely spend more than $10 on a card sometimes I do uh, but so I really am spending between 5 cents and $10 on these cards. Most of them actually are in the 5 to 50 cent range. You can make money doing that. Doesn't take a whole lot of time. Encourage you to check it out. Black Friday is a good time to load up. Put a couple hundred dollars on there. Spend a little bit at a time when you're letting the turkey wear off and uh, you know eating those leftovers around the holidays and everybody's out shopping. You send the wife and the kids out shopping. And you can sit around and get that turkey sandwich and the gravy and the biscuits. Oh, that sounded pretty good. And Just sit around and buy a bunch of cards, have some fun. Buy some Joe Montana's and Troy Igman's and Buster Posey's and and people that you're very familiar with and that uh, you know, you know, Nolan Ryan and Babe Ruth. I mean, there's there's 100 players. There's, a, you know, 200 players you could buy probably from every sport. That would be a great buy on check out my cards on Black Friday. It's all out there for you. And I encourage you to check it out. Check out the Chicago Cubs. First of all, you know, if this guy couldn't be more my idol in life, Eddie Vedder, the first time the Cubs have won the World Series in whatever it was, 108 years or something, Eddie Vedder is sitting right behind home plate for at least the last five or six innings. And the last inning with Theo Epstein, the general manager, of the Cubs who he is uh, very good buddies with. And that is a reason probably why he had those tickets and why you often saw him sitting in the suite next to Theo. It is because Theo is a huge Pearl Jam fan and um, I'm sure they had uh, some cool nights. I wish I was uh, t- cool enough to be in their company, but I have been in the company, the very, very close company of many of the Chicago Cub stars Chris Bryant the WCC tournament I think is what it's called he went to the University of San Diego the WCC tournament is in drumroll please Stockton California that is right right down the street from me Chris Bryant played college uh his college baseball championship tournament and I have some incredible video I think it's the most views I've ever gotten on a video I have some pretty cool video of him in a batting cage when he was at University of San Diego taking multiple rounds of batting, pra- batting practice in a, in a cage. And I'm like super close to him. I'm like right behind him. And uh, that was obviously before he was picked by the Cubs. I, I remember that day there were so many scouts there. And I remember there were people from the Cubs. There were like a half a dozen people from the Cubs. And um, you know the whole park was filled with scouts. Because he was a big deal. You knew he was going to be picked in the top five or ten. And they pitched around him mostly in that series, hit a double off the wall. He made a couple of really nice plays at third base, which kind of convinced maybe he maybe could play third base. But a few short months later, this is all before again before Chris Bryant is a household name and potential MVP of the league. He went to the Arizona Fall League, and I think that was probably my second or third trip out to the Fall League. And I'll never forget this. It was a night game at Scottsdale Stadium, and uh, night game start at six thirty. Players get out on the field, you know, about six or so. And somebody from the Cubs must have told the players, Chris, it was Chris Bryant, Jorge Soler, Soler Albert Almora, were there that year. That somebody told those guys, "Hey, you sign, you stay out there and sign every single autograph, because you know by the by, by by the time the game is about to start, they're all three still standing out there, and they're the only guys signing autographs." And I don't, I've been to probably 400 minor league games. And the only time I ever got an autograph at the, at the game was with, uh, I dropped my phone with, uh, Carlos Correa when I was in Iowa and there was like 20 people at the game and I randomly had a card on me and I was like, how could I, you know, how could I be in Iowa? And Carlos Correa is here, this number one pick. This guy who, you know, is probably going to turn into a star. How could I not get his autograph? I'm standing right here. So I got his autograph. That was the only time I'd really ever gotten an autograph at a game. And the only other time where I really thought about getting an autograph was Chris Bryant was standing there signing everything. There was a guy who got. I mean, this guy had a freaking signing session with Chris Bryant. He got like a black baseball with the gold signature and the bats and the cards. And I mean, Chris Bryant was signing everything and anything and pictures and whatever he wanted. And I just remember standing there and I was like, "Oh man, this kid's gonna be good." I, again, I'd seen him in college. I knew he was, you know, gonna be a good player. And I was like, "I don't have anything on me." I was like, "Whatever." That was One of my only regrets of the fall league was Chris Bryant was sitting there just doing a signing session, and uh, he ended up having a really good fall league. I remember seeing him hit a home run, and I was really impressed with Albert Almora, who had a nice base running play in the last game of the World Series there. Uh, I think he's going to end up being a good player, solid player. He's he's athletic. He plays good outfield. I just really was super impressed. I remember watching him, this was several years ago now, and I was like, man, that kid's going to be really good. Um, so, they, it's incredible. If you go out to the Fall League. Oh, and uh, another vivid memory of the Fall League. And this was all bef- these were vivid memories before the Cubs even started getting rolling here. I remember sitting there right by the on-deck circle. I like to sit right by the on-deck circle. You get a really good view of the strike zone and just everything. And the, and the on-deck hitter. And you can kind of see these guys up close. I remember... Hearing about Javier Baez and this kid was good, I didn't know that much about him. I don't know as much about the international guys as the guys who actually get drafted. Some of these guys I see in college, even like Bryant. But, you know, I'm reading how this Javier Baez kid's good. Oh, he's coming up to bat or whatever. And then he's, you know, he's in the on deck circle and I'm kind of sitting right next to him. I just remember standing up and being able to see, and most of you maybe who come to know this, he has the MLB logo tattooed on the back of his neck. And so he had that back then. I mean, this is how confident he plays with a very much an air of confidence. And I know it, I'm a Giants fan. It angered a lot of Giants fans. I love it. I love the, the guys who bat flip and play with an air of confidence. So I, I appreciate guys like Javier Baez. But even back then, guys, he had the MLB logo tattooed on the back of his neck. And uh, he had the big high leg kick and struck out a lot. But you could, I mean, his bat was just uh, electric fast bat so remember seeing yeah so almera almora Soler, baez chris bryant i've seen there and then of course addison russell another uh stockton veteran spent a whole season in stockton and played an entire year that's when i had season tickets so i've seen this kid take 150 at-bats probably or more and take, you know, countless ground balls because he played shortstop all year. So you get, you know, at least a few per game. So it's just, it's pretty cool, you know, when you see a guy who has to endure living a year in Stockton be able to, uh, you know, reach the heights of game seven of the World Series and win and hopefully make a bunch of money and, and take care of his family on that. So that's really cool. Addison Russell was all o- Always a really nice guy to the people of Stockton. I just remember they did a little pancake breakfast or something for the season ticket holders. So I was over there, and there was a guy who had stacks of Addison Russell, not eight by tens, like, I don't know, these were like posters. And Addison Russell signed every single one, inscribed them like number one pick, different inscriptions on every single one of them, all for free, obviously. I mean, I was just, I just remember standing there watching it and somewhere I even have a picture of it. Cause I was like, cause it took him a while and he was, it was like a signing session. That's why some of these minor league games, you guys who are into autographs or prospecting or stuff. you Trust me, you guys can go literally have a signing session with Chris Bryant, with Addison Russell, with whoever you want. If you catch him on the right day at the right time, um, and usually those times come around more often than not. I know people that have like 400 Addison Russell autographs on cards and game use bats. And just, I mean, it's astonishing, you know, the type of treasure trove you could get from these games. I don't. I I, I have a Carlos Correa autographs for my many years of watching baseball, but highly recommend the Arizona Fall League if you can't tell and the Cubs new stadium in Mesa Arizona is tremendous so if you want to come out for the Arizona Fall League or for spring training I, you got to do that um, if you do that I don't really like Mesa I would, I'd probably never stay in Mesa I'd stay 15 minutes over in Tempe or I would stay another 15-20 minutes up the freeway and then west into Scottsdale it's gonna be expensive. If you're going to spring training, don't go to spring training cheap. You're gonna spend 150, 200 a night minimum on a room. If you get something less than that, then it's probably gonna be in a less than desirable location. You might be driving quite a ways, so think about that or the Uber rides, you know. And if you're like me, I don't like driving in a Prius on a, you know, I'm not going to take an Uber Prius. so I'm gonna. I'm going to, I got to get the XL, the select service. I'm mean, have taken $70 Uber rides over stadiums. So just factor that in. Um, sometimes spending more on a place that's closer to where you want to be actually saves you money. Highly recommend Airbnb. I've used it many times in Arizona and throughout the country. If you can't find a hotel you like, don't be afraid to check your Airbnb. I've always I've stayed in some good houses in Tempe. I stayed in an amazing house in Scottsdale that was like right behind the stadium and it was like super quiet neighborhood and I was like, "Man, can I just take this for the whole month of March? That would be glorious." Um place like that's worth like 300 a night. I mean, I would man I would pay. I'd pay him 7-8000 for the whole month guaranteed. So maybe maybe we just made an Airbnb sale there, but I highly recommend it. If you go see the Cubs in spring training, you're right there next to the A's ballpark. You're very close to the Giants ballpark. Up the freeway is the Rockies and Diamondbacks ballpark. There's casinos nearby. If you're on the younger side or if you just like chasing college girls, Arizona State is 15 minutes away from the Cubs stadium. Um, I'm on the younger side of 30, so I can say there's some incredible talent down there. Um, up into Scottsdale, you have some kind of artsy places. You have a little fashion square mall. You've got old town with some really good restaurants. Bandera is one of my favorites, really good prime rib. You got to go early for the prime rib because they run out of that. I don't, I don't even know what I would eat if they, if I couldn't get there early enough for the prime rib. So lots of good places. Um, the stadiums are tremendous. If you go there in the fall league, it's, you know, everything's the hotels are half the price. The Airbnbs are half the price getting into the games are like seven or eight bucks or you can get a season pass for like a hundred bucks and it gets you into every game you and four people in every game and the fall league is like pennies if you go to spring training step up your budget do a little research you can always email me reach out to me i've been to spring training I don't know, four or five times. I think I want to go out this year. I might even create some websites where I break down the stadiums, where the shade is, how to do it all. I've always wanted to do that. I mean, I wouldn't do it personally, but I would pay somebody to do it. And then I would kind of organize the setup of the website and getting it all set up. Thinking about doing that. Honestly, thinking about doing that. If you live out in Arizona, you want to help me out, shoot me an email. Probably would only take us a couple of weeks, go to a couple of games, shoot some pictures, um, get what we need to do. And, uh, bang it out but leave you with that 30 minutes hopefully this wasn't boring sorry if it was the political podcasts are on fire right now i mean this is just i gotta get off so i can just go back to these political podcasts which is just juicy right now leave you with this the the only real election i was interested in was the stockton mayor the mayor race in stockton This is why I sleep well every night, even though I bash on some of these card guys all the time. The incumbent mayor of Stockton, he was implicated, and I don't know what happened to the case, but he was implicated on, he was at a youth camp, and he was playing strip poker with some of the boys at the youth camp. And there's videotape of it. And that's, that was the mayor of Stockton. And there's been other incidents I could go on and on. But I had to make sure. I don't even know who this other guy was. I think he's a Stanford graduate and pretty upstandard guy. Younger guy. He's like in his 20s. I had to make sure I went and voted for him. Because uh, <laughs> put maybe makes uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton look like Mother Teresa as far as I'm concerned. So signing off with that. I sleep well at night. The mayor of Stockton, or the former mayor of Stockton is a scumbag. See you later, Mr. Silva. Peace out. Your $100,000 salary salary's gone. Maybe you're going to get kicked out of the hotel you lived at. And, I mean, I don't know. Peace out, Mr. Silva. Welcome, Mr. Tubbs. Maybe I'll get to know you. Maybe we'll do some business together. That'd be great. I should have donated to his campaign and and, uh, gotten on the inside. But see you later. Peace out. Don't bet. On the political adv- elections, that's my best advice.